It was a hot June day in 451 CE on the Catalonian plains of France. And Attila, bloody, battered and sweating, squinted out at his army through the sun. His men were locked in a rootless battle against a Roman and Visigoth coalition, and they were losing. It was unfamiliar territory for Attila. For over a decade, he and his Hun army had terrorized the Roman Empire. Now, deep in enemy territory and facing the best living Roman general, defeat and death seemed all but certain. Attila knew he needed to do something to change the tide. According to ancient historian Jordanes, he turned to his men and yelled, Nature imposes on us this heavy duty to glut our souls with vengeance. I shall throw the first spear at the foe. If any man can stand unmoved while Attila fights, then he must already be dead. Inspired by their king, the Huns redoubled their attack, hacking and slashing at their enemies. The Huns covered the battlefield in gore, turning a nearby stream into a river of blood. That evening, as both sides prepared for another day of fighting, Attila looked to keep his men inspired. He ordered the construction of a funeral pyre. He'd rather leap onto the pyre than face capture. He would ensure, quote, that the overlord of so many peoples should not be taken by his enemies. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This season of Dictators, we're exploring the lives of leaders who conquered the world and brought empires to their knees. Last week, we dove into the rise of Attila the Hun. We examined how he and his older brother Bleda succeeded their uncle and terrorized the Eastern Roman Empire. Then, how tensions between the brothers ultimately led to Attila assassinating Bleda, making Attila sole king. This week, we'll look at the Roman conspiracy to assassinate Attila and how its failure led Attila to increase his hold over the Eastern Roman Empire. We'll also explore Attila's invasion of the West, leading to the climactic showdown at the Battle of the Catalonian Plains. We'll have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show.
There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. In 434 CE, Attila and his older brother Bleda became the joint kings of the Huns after the death of their uncle. But after 11 years of joint rule, Attila assassinated Bleda and became undisputed master of the Hunnic Empire. As sole leader of the Huns, Attila turned the Huns into more than just a pestering nuisance. He devastated lands south of the Danube River, revealing the Huns to be a true existential threat to the Eastern Roman Empire. By bringing such carnage and destruction, Attila was able to force Theodosius II, the Eastern Roman Emperor, into paying him a hefty annual tribute of 2,100 pounds of gold. Attila didn't invent the idea of extorting the Romans. But the tribute he extracted was a dramatic increase from the 350 pounds his uncle received when he was ruler. The Romans were too weak to attack Attila directly. Buying peace was necessary, but it was also unpopular. By the end of the 440s CE, the royal court began looking at other ways to rid themselves of the Hun foe, like assassination. Hoping to replace Attila with a friendlier, less capable Hun, a cabal of Roman officials hatched a conspiracy to kill him. The Romans got their chance to put their plans into place in the spring of 449 CE. Attila and Theodosius II's peace agreement had established a demilitarized zone between the Huns and the Romans. At the same time, Theodosius II had agreed to deliver Attila the Hun hostages. But by spring 449 CE, the Romans hadn't delivered on their end of the bargain. So an angry Attila sent his trusted bodyguard, Edico, to Constantinople for an explanation. However, when Edico arrived in Constantinople, he was convinced to betray Attila. For an untold amount of wealth, Edico promised Chrysaphius, commander of the imperial bodyguard, he would assassinate his king. In order to arrange Attila's death and survive, Edico told Chrysaphius that he would need to bribe the rest of Attila's bodyguards. He figured 50 pounds of gold would be enough to get the others on board. However, because Attila was suspicious of any Hun ambassador who accepted Roman gifts, Edico noted that it was too dangerous for him to travel back with the gold himself. The two agreed that they would send a Roman delegation to distract Attila while Edico spoke to the other guards. Once they agreed to his plan, a Roman would return to Constantinople, fetch the gold, and initiate the assassination. Chrysaphius ultimately chose a translator named Vigilus to be the money man. It's unclear how much Theodosius II knew about the conspiracy. It's possible he stayed out of the planning stages in order to maintain plausible deniability. Regardless, Chrysaphius informed him that the plot was now underway 
and Theodosius II approved. Perhaps now he could be rid of Attila once and for all. In early summer, Etico, Vigilus, and the rest of the Roman delegation set out to Attila's camp in the great Hungarian plain. Leading the entourage was a prominent military officer named Maximinus. With him was his friend Priscus, who was tasked with writing an official account of the journey. Neither Maximinus nor Priscus were told of the delegation's true purpose, but they play essential roles in it as the diplomatic smokescreen. For the next several weeks, their party traveled through the wasteland created by Attila. They passed by ruins, burned-out farmsteads, and piles of bones. The city of Nisus, which Attila had raised six years earlier, was still uninhabited and littered with skeletons. Nisus's only inhabitants were a few fanatical monks who prayed incessantly for the upcoming apocalypse. For many Romans, the age of Attila seemed to be the last years of the world. The king of the Huns announced the end times. Soon after crossing the Danube River, the delegation was brought to one of Attila's camps. Once there, Etico left the group, presumably to begin working on the other guards. Meanwhile, the Romans were told that Attila didn't want to see them. They had insisted that they see the Hun king. They had with them a letter personally written by Theodosius II and were under strict instructions to hand it over to only Attila. But Attila's representative boasted that the king already knew what was in the letter. They even proved it by summarizing the letter's contents. Instead, the Romans were told to leave immediately. In order to save the diplomatic mission, Priscus offered Attila's representative gifts and asked him to reason with the king. The representative agreed and ultimately convinced Attila to meet with the Romans. During the meeting, the mistrustful Attila insisted that the Romans return Hun fugitives. Vigilus, the translator, claimed that they had all been handed over. But Attila didn't believe him. Incensed, he had his secretaries read a list of alleged fugitives still living in the empire. Once the secretary was finished, Attila demanded that Vigilus return to Constantinople, convey his desires to Emperor Theodosius II, and return with his response. Vigilus may have been concerned by Attila's hostile attitude. Perhaps Attila had become suspicious of the plot to kill him. But whatever doubts Vigilus may have had were cast away when Etico arrived and, speaking privately, assured him that the other guards had agreed to the assassination. Relieved, Vigilus returned to Constantinople to relay Attila's response to Theodosius II and fetch the gold to pay Attila's assassins. With Vigilus gone, Maximinus and Priscus stayed on with the Huns in an attempt to get negotiations moving. This meant traveling to Attila's main settlement out on the great Hungarian plain. Once they all arrived at the Huns' main residence, Attila's anger seemed to have cooled. Perhaps he'd gotten out everything he needed to say. Whatever the reason, Attila hinted to Maximinus and Priscus that he was open to the idea of a Hunnic embassy in Constantinople, and, playing a welcoming host, invited the two to feast with him that evening. 
During the feast, Attila's men laughed at the ramblings of a court fool and wept at the recital of Hunnic war poetry. It was exactly what the Romans would have expected in what they considered a barbarian court. However, Attila himself remained silent, unmoved, and severe. Priscus noted that the only time Attila softened at all was when he stood next to his youngest son, whom he gazed at with gentle eyes. It was perhaps the only genuine emotion the Romans saw from the reserved Attila. Ruthless, cunning, and severe, Attila's lone soft spot was his son. Priscus recorded all these observations per his mandate. But as the days wore on, there was little else to say. Maximinus wasn't making any real progress on his diplomatic mission. Attila's mood seemed to dart about wildly. One minute he was furious, the next conciliatory. Neither Maximinus nor Priscus could make heads or tails of him. Of course, Attila's mood swings were entirely by design. He knew it would keep his foes off balance and always guessing his true intentions. Eventually, though, Maximinus was done guessing. He felt frustrated and disrespected as a Roman ambassador. And finally, he decided it was time to return to Constantinople. Attila made no objection to their departure. But in the meantime, Vigilus was on his way back to Attila with the gold for the assassins. He had no idea he was walking straight into a trap. Coming up, the conspiracy to assassinate Attila is exposed. The I-5 Strangler, the Southside Dentist, the Berlin Butcher. Meet the many faces of evil in the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Every Monday and Thursday, take a journey through the origin, evolution, and madness of a real-life murderer, exploring the reasons why they lived to kill. Using extensive research and details you won't hear anywhere else, Serial Killers takes an in-depth look at the horrors beyond the headlines. With hundreds of episodes available to binge and new ones released weekly, get to know the killers, crimes, and cases that left an indelible stain on history. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. In the summer of 449 CE, a Roman cabal conspired to assassinate Attila, king of the Huns. The plan was to bribe his guards to turn on their king. To avoid Attila becoming suspicious, they masked the conspiracy with a fake diplomatic mission. Ultimately, the Roman diplomats left Attila, confused at the Huns' weird and sudden mood swings. But as they were returning to Constantinople, Vigilus, the conspirator responsible for obtaining the gold, was on his way back to pay off the guards and rid the world of Attila the Hun. For whatever reason, Vigilus decided to bring along his son. Perhaps he wanted to show his son how Romans deal with existential threats. But unfortunately for Vigilus, the Huns had outsmarted him. 
Just as he reached Attila's palace, Vigilus and his son were suddenly seized by Hun guards who searched their belongings and found the 50 pounds of gold. Dragged before Attila, Vigilus tried to explain that the money was for food and to pay the ransom for Roman hostages held captive by the Huns. But Attila didn't buy it and threatened to kill Vigilus's son. The threat had the intended effect. Vigilus revealed the whole conspiracy, including the role of Chrysaphius and the emperor in the plot. What Vigilus didn't realize was that Attila had known about the conspiracy the entire time. As it turns out, Edico had feigned support for the plot. When he first returned to Attila, he immediately told his king what the Romans were up to. Rather than seize the Roman envoys when they first arrived, Attila decided to play along. By entertaining Maximinus and Priscus, he could flaunt his own virtue in the face of Roman duplicity. Attila also orchestrated the failure of the diplomatic summit to confuse the Romans. He instructed Edico to keep playing along so as to encourage Vigilus to return with the gold and thus implicate the emperor. In short, the barbarian king had the civilized Romans dancing like marionettes. Revealing his hand, Attila now expected to collect his winnings. He imprisoned Vigilus and demanded Vigilus's son return to Constantinople. Once there, the son was to meet with Chrysaphius and procure another 50 pounds of gold as ransom for his father. Attila also had two of his men accompany the youth, Orestes and Eslis. Orestes was told to wear the leather bag that had carried the gold around his neck and ask the emperor if he recognized it. He was then to demand that Chrysaphius be handed over to the Huns. Unfortunately, it's unknown what happened at the climactic showdown between Orestes, Vigilus's son, and the Emperor Theodosius II, or whether it even happened at all. Maximinus's reaction when he finally found out that he was a pawn in a game of life and death has also been lost to history. But we do have a glimpse of Priscus's lingering resentment towards Chrysaphius, which may have been partly influenced by the assassination plot. He wrote, Everything the emperor did was under the supervision of eunuchs, and these eunuchs brought matters to such a ridiculous state that, in brief, they distracted Theodosius, just as children are distracted with playthings, and prevented him from achieving anything worth recording. Of course, when the court itself realized that the conspiracy had been exposed, like any practiced politicians, they naturally chose to deny everything. According to Christopher Kelly, for many at court, the issue was clear. The whole story had been fabricated to embarrass the emperor and his advisors. Any claims to the contrary could be dismissed. It was, in the eyes of the Romans, fake news. Meanwhile, in 450 CE, a new Roman envoy was sent to Attila to discuss the release of Vigilus, while also attempting to broker peace and stop any sort of Hun invasion, this time in a genuine attempt at a diplomatic solution. And this time, it seemed to work. After being showered with gifts, 
Attila not only released Vigilus, he also set free a number of other Roman prisoners in his possession. Then he dropped his demands for the Hun fugitives and a demilitarized zone south of the Danube. Perhaps Attila believed that he had done enough to embarrass Theodosius II and put him in his place. Or perhaps he didn't have any more time to play with the Eastern Romans. Because not long after the foiled assassination plot, Attila decided to turn his attention to the Western Roman Empire. If you recall from the last episode, in 435 CE, the Huns had entered into an alliance with the Western Roman general Flavius Aetius to take on the Visigoths. Aetius had lived among the Huns as a hostage and had a good relationship with his former captors. Though the Visigoths ultimately defeated the Hun-Roman alliance outside Toulouse, Aetius still saw value in the Hun alliance for a time. He even arranged for Attila to be made an honorary general. But by the start of the 450s CE, the alliance between Aetius and Attila had soured. There are a myriad of reasons for the strained relationship, including Attila's willingness to protect Roman rebels, as well as a long-running dispute over the ownership of some golden bulls. But the leading cause was that Aetius was never informed of Attila's next moves. It was obvious to all that Attila was planning on another invasion. However, it was not clear if Attila would come to the west to support Aetius against the Visigoths, come to attack Aetius, or perhaps turn east and invade Persia. Though the west was always enticing because of how weak it was, it's impossible to know if Attila himself knew very well where he was going to attack, or if he was simply waiting for an opportunity to present itself before committing to a plan. As it happened, an opportunity did present itself in spring 450 CE, when something very peculiar happened. A eunuch from Ravenna, the capital of the Western Roman Empire, arrived at Attila's palace with an unexpected proposal. Initially, the Huns assumed the eunuch was sent by the Western Roman Emperor, Valentinian III. However, they were surprised to discover that he was actually sent by Valentinian III's older sister, the Princess Justa Grata Honoria. Valentinian III had forced Honoria into an arranged engagement with an older aristocrat, and Honoria, wishing to avoid the marriage, sought out an unusual ally. Attila. At Attila's palace, the eunuch envoy spelled out Honoria's request. In exchange for a hefty sum of gold, she wanted Attila to intervene with Valentinian III and block the marriage. To prove that her offer was legitimate, she had the envoy give Attila her signet ring. It was a surprising gamble, perhaps, but a calculated one. Honoria knew that Attila was one of the most powerful men in the region. It's not clear how long Attila and his advisors discussed this unusual request. But Attila must have realized the remarkable opportunity Honoria had just given him, and he was going to make the most of that opportunity. He agreed to help prevent the marriage with a caveat. Honoria would have to be Attila's bride. We do not know how Honoria reacted to Attila's offer, but we do know how her brother felt when word reached him. Furious, 
Valentinian III had Honoria's eunuch tortured and executed. He then ordered Honoria to journey to the great Hungarian plain and accept Attila's marriage proposal. If she wanted to align with the Hun, then she should live with the Hun. Honoria undoubtedly refused to go. Luckily for her, their mother stepped in to settle the matter between the squabbling siblings. Essentially, the royal mother refused to let Honoria go live with the Huns. Instead, Honoria was forced to accept the original plan, marry the aristocrat her brother chose for her, and settle into a quiet life. Attila, however, was not ready to give up on his Roman bride. He proclaimed that, since Honoria had given him her ring, that was in and of itself a marriage proposal. So in fall 450 CE, Attila sent ambassadors to Ravenna to deliver the happy news. He and Honoria were now engaged. Oh, and also, Attila wanted Honoria to be recognized as the joint ruler of the Western Empire. The Romans, of course, rejected this demand as ludicrous, and it's quite likely that Attila intentionally engineered it all to be too ridiculous to accept. According to historian Christopher Kelly, Attila likely already knew Honoria was now married to the aristocrat. Plus, Roman law didn't allow women to rule as empresses. Rather, Attila likely wanted the Romans to reject his proposal, which would give him justification to attack the West. After some diplomatic back and forth, a Hun emissary returned to Ravenna and delivered another message to Valentinian III, quote, Through me, Attila, my lord and your lord, has instructed you to prepare the palace for him. Attila was coming to claim his bride. Coming up, Attila lays waste to France, and Aetius joins forces with the Visigoths for a showdown with the Hun king. Now back to the story. In 450 CE, the princess Honoria, sister to the Western Emperor Valentinian III, asked Attila to rescue her from an arranged marriage. Unfortunately, the plan backfired. Attila claimed that Honoria was now betrothed to him and that Western Rome should prepare for his arrival either as a bridegroom or an invader. But a Western invasion wasn't meant to bring about the end of the Roman Empire for good. Instead, Attila needed gold in order to keep his hold on the Hunnic throne. According to historian Adrian Goldsworthy, Attila's power rested ultimately on his ability to reward his supporters lavishly. For this, he needed to fight successful wars, to both gain plunder and maintain the fear that prompted payments of tribute. Tribute helped, but plunder taken from war was better. Victories enhanced his prestige and enabled him to demand even greater tribute in the future. In spring 451 CE, Attila crossed the Rhine River near modern-day Koblenz in Germany. The ancient historian Jordanes reported that his army consisted of half a million men, unquestionably an exaggeration. 
The army was large, its Hun warriors about doubled by subject allies like the Goths. All of whom trusted in Attila to bring them victory, and with it, glory and loot. It had been a while since one man brought such an imposing force into Roman territory. It isn't clear how Emperor Valentinian III reacted when he learned Attila had crossed into Gaul, or modern-day France, and parts of Belgium. According to Christopher Kelly, he may have advocated for blocking the mountain passes into Italy and abandoning France to the Huns. However, the Roman general Flavius Aetius refused to sacrifice Gaul, certainly not to a man he'd once considered an ally. Instead, Aetius proposed that the Romans join with the Goths he'd formerly fought by Attila's side, the Goths that had defeated Attila. It was a risk, but in Aetius's opinion, one they had to take in order to keep Gaul. In March 451 CE, Aetius extended the offer to the Goths. The proposal, in part, read, Bravest of nations, we are well advised to unite against this universal despot who wishes to enslave the whole earth, despising both law and religion. Attila shows himself hostile even to the natural order of things. Can you permit such arrogance to go unpunished? The Visigoths had little choice but to agree to the alliance. The menace of Attila was too great to ignore. All across the region, Attila's army sacked and destroyed cities and towns. Before long, apocalyptic legends and stories began to spread about Attila's ruthless wrath. The city of Metz, for example, was completely razed to the ground. All that supposedly remained standing was a single chapel. Meanwhile, during the sacking of Reims, a popular legend claims that the city's bishop was decapitated while reciting a Bible verse in front of a cathedral. As his head rolled down the cathedral steps, it was heard to complete the verse. And at Troyes, it's said that the city's bishop confronted Attila face to face. When the bishop asked who the king was, Attila responded, I am Attila, the whip of God. Incidents such as these were almost certainly the invention of later generations of Christian historians who saw the Huns as punishment sent by God. But whether or not divinely motivated, for those who stood in Attila's path, the invasion must have seemed like the coming of the Book of Revelation. By June 451 CE, Attila reached the city of Orléans, about 73 miles southwest of Paris, where finally he spotted the Roman Gothic coalition led by Flavius Aetius and the Gothic king Theodoric. And he made a calculated decision. It was time to turn home. His troops had already plundered riches across Gaul. He had no need to fight a difficult battle here. But Aetius and Theodoric refused to let Attila get away. As he turned his force around, they immediately chased after him. In all likelihood, the Allies sensed this was their one shot to bring Attila to open battle, though with some trepidation. Fighting Attila on the open field was a tremendous risk. If the Allies lost their army, neither the Romans nor Visigoths had the manpower to rebuild it. A major defeat might have meant the end of the Western Roman Empire. 
But neither could they afford to let Attila go unpunished. Letting him go signified that they were too weak to resist him, and thus invited future attacks by both Huns and other tribes. At the end of June 451 CE, the two armies finally met on the Catalanian Plains, located somewhere in the Champagne region of northeastern France. The battle proved to be one of the fiercest, most dreadful of the late Roman era. As Huns, Romans, Goths, and other tribes hacked and slashed each other, they soaked the ground with blood and gore. Many died, including Theodoric, king of the Visigoths. Some sources claim he was impaled by a javelin, while others say he fell off his horse and was trampled to death. Despite the death of a king, neither side broke. When it appeared as if the Huns were on the verge of defeat, Attila rallied his troops with an inspired speech. Fighting came to an end that day, only because night had fallen. Legend has it that in the evening, Attila ordered his men to build a funeral pyre made of horse saddles. He would rather burn alive than face Roman chains. This is likely just a later invention. However, it does speak to Attila's precarious situation. But then, just two days later, Attila awoke and to his surprise, watched as Goths and Romans began to retreat. Initially, he probably expected a trap, but soon enough time passed and the retreat continued. The Allies had actually abandoned the battlefield. There are several possible explanations for the sudden Roman withdrawal. First, Aetius may have actually wanted to prevent the Huns from being completely wiped out. Had Aetius completely destroyed the Huns, then the Visigoths would no longer see a need to maintain their alliance with the Western Empire and could potentially expand their territories. By keeping two enemies alive, Aetius may have hoped to set them against each other. Another possibility is that when King Theodoric was killed, his successor abandoned the battlefield to hurry home and secure his throne. With their ally in retreat, the Romans had little choice but to follow. Finally, it may be that the Allied armies simply didn't have enough supplies to go on, and so broke up and went home. Or perhaps all of these possibilities factored into Aetius's decision. Regardless, Attila was now free to return to the great Hungarian plain. Commentators throughout history have long suggested that the Battle of the Catalonian Plains was one of the crucial battles of history. It was at this decisive moment where Christians stopped pagans from conquering the world, or so the popular narrative goes. The less exciting truth, however, is that Attila's objective in invading Gaul was not to conquer, but to plunder. And by the time battle occurred, Attila had already succeeded in enriching himself and his men. Still, in the battle's aftermath, Aetius must have hoped that Attila, checked in France, would turn his attention to easier prey. He was to be sorely disappointed. The Battle of the Catalonian Plains probably dented Attila's prestige. So it was in his best interest to strike against the Romans again as soon as possible, both to win new plunder and to prove to the world that he was still someone not to be trifled with. 
So in summer 452 CE, Attila surprised everyone by marching straight into Italy. Once again, he claimed his motivation was to collect Honoria, his Roman bride. The first city to suffer Attila's fury was Aquileia, a wealthy trade hub. Attila's army was so brutal that burn marks from the sacking can still be seen on the floor of the city's basilica today. After Aquileia, Attila plundered Pavia and Milan, a former capital of the Western Empire. It became obvious to the Romans that Italy was going to suffer the same fate as Gaul had a year earlier. The Roman response, however, was muted. Not only was Flavius Aetius surprised by the Huns' rapid advance, but there was likely little he could do to counter it. If he took his army out of Gaul, then the Goths would undoubtedly use the opportunity to turn on the Romans too. All Aetius could do was hope the Huns ran out of steam. Thankfully for the rest of Italy, Aetius's hopes seemingly came true. In the summer of 452 CE, the Huns were camped just outside the city of Mantua, where they were visited by Western Roman ambassadors. And at the head of the delegation was none other than Pope Leo I. No eyewitness account remains of what passed between the Pope and Attila. Christian tradition claims that the Pope scared off Attila with the threat of God's wrath, and in doing so, saved Rome. The most likely explanation is that Leo bribed Attila to turn back. Attila had other reasons to end his campaign. Food supplies were low, and it's believed his army suffered from the plague. Plus, he already had heaps of plunder to take home with him. Technically, Rome itself had been spared. But for the Western Empire, Attila's Italian adventure was a humiliating defeat. According to Christopher Kelly, Attila's brief and bloody intervention had decisively shifted the balance of power in the West. It was clear that the Roman imperial government could now neither control nor defend the empire. Never before was it more clear that the Roman Empire, especially in the West, was on the verge of collapse. Returning to the great Hungarian plain, Attila seems to have turned his gaze back to the East. In the years following the botched assassination plot, Theodosius II had died, and his successor, Martian, stopped delivering the Huns' annual tribute. Throughout 452 CE, Attila sent threats to Martian to start making the payments again, promising to attack the Eastern Empire next year if Martian didn't. Luckily for Martian and the people of the East, Attila's invasion never came. In early 453 CE, Attila took a new wife, a woman named Ildiko. Like all good weddings, Attila feasted and drank well into the night before going to bed in a drunken stupor. However, the next morning, he did not emerge from his room. After some hesitation, his bodyguards finally had to break down his door. Once inside, they found Ildiko weeping over Attila's corpse. While some have wondered if Ildiko murdered Attila, the most likely cause of his death was accidental. A drunk Attila collapsed and his nose began to bleed. Too drunk to notice, the blood poured into his mouth 
and he choked to death in his sleep. It was a sudden and ignoble end for a man who had ruthlessly terrorized the Roman Empire for nearly 20 years. Within a generation, the Huns as a people all but disappeared from history. In the wake of Attila's death, no single man was able to seize power like Attila. And in the years following his death, the Hunnic Empire, which spread across much of Eastern Europe, completely collapsed due to internal power struggles. Attila's lasting impact is more clearly visible in accelerating the end of the Western Roman Empire forever. His attacks in Gaul and Italy were so devastating that the empire only lasted 23 more years. In 476 CE, the last Western Roman emperor was deposed by a non-Roman king. The Eastern Roman Empire, however, did survive. Renamed the Byzantine Empire, it would survive another 1,000 years. Until in 1453, Mehmed II of the Ottoman Empire accomplished what Theodosius II always feared Attila would do, sack Constantinople. Thanks in part to Christian historians who viewed him as a punishment sent by God, Attila's reputation as a cruel and merciless leader has survived throughout the centuries. His name, as well as Hun, became bywords to denote ruthless terror. For the Western world, Attila became a symbol for the destruction of civilization, the yardstick by which other presumed monsters were measured. In fact, as Christopher Kelly notes, men like Napoleon were equated to Attila. Meanwhile, in July 1900, while addressing German troops about to be sent to crush the Boxer Rebellion in China, Kaiser Wilhelm II told his men to be like Attila. Meet the enemy and beat him. Give him no quarter. Take no prisoners. Even as a thousand years ago, the Huns under King Attila made such a name for themselves as still resounds in fable and legend, so may the name of Germans resound through Chinese history a thousand years from now. It's perhaps little wonder, then, that it would ultimately be a German warmonger who finally supplanted Attila as history's greatest villain. But there's another perspective on Attila, that he was a shrewd, pragmatic leader who was able to hold together diverse groups of supporters. Though the Huns had slowly begun to unite under a single leader, it wasn't until Attila that they became a true force to be reckoned with. In the process, Attila fearlessly challenged the largest empire of his day and brought it to its knees. Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we begin our three-part dive into the life of Napoleon Bonaparte. For more information on Attila the Hun, amongst the many sources we used, we found End of Empire, Attila the Hun and the Fall of Rome by Christopher Kelly to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. 
Sound design by Brendan Hawkins, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Dictators was written by Devin Hughes, with writing assistance by Joe Guerra and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Bradley Klein. Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. Their names have become larger than life. Their crimes, some of the most heinous in history. Their stories, examined each week on the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Every Monday and Thursday, journey past the headlines and into the minds and motives of the murderers who forever changed the face of history. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify.